Thank you for listening to the Cross Loganville podcast. Well, good morning, guys. How are we? Got a couple of waves. Good morning. Big Terry, what's up, man? Good to see you guys. Man, I love getting to come be with you guys. I'm also, I just want to say Merry Christmas. Like this is, man, I hope to be one of, if not the first to tell you, it is Christmas time. Uh, my family and I, we, man, it is, it is like painstaking to make us wait to Christmas season to start decorating. And so uh, we do celebrate Thanksgiving as a family, uh, but it is the pregame for Christmas that we believe it was intended to be. You know what I mean? Anybody decorated for Christmas yet? Y'all got the tree up? Hey, man, uh, anybody for more than a week? Anybody been decorated for more than a week? Okay. What about two weeks? Anybody decorated for more than two weeks? Okay, we got a couple. I was with uh, one of our football coaches a couple weeks ago. We were driving uh, to one of our games, and he was asking, you know, what Grace was doing that night. And I said, well, I think she's, you know, she's at home with the boys. I said, I think she's doing some Christmas decorating and stuff. And he said, he's like, you guys aren't those folks that decorate on November 1st, are you? And I laughed. I said, no, of course not. We don't decorate November 1st. Uh, we put our tree up October 29th this year. <laughs> we did. We just wanted to make sure that everybody knew that we celebrate Jesus' holiday. We don't celebrate Halloween. Uh, so we got the tree up. We got the candy canes on the sidewalk because we didn't want those little pagans coming ringing our doorbell <laughs> after the kids had already gone to bed. You know, those kids are asleep. Don't come ringing my doorbell. Um, I'm just kidding. I don't think you're a pagan if you like Halloween, but some of y'all do wait until two weeks before Christmas to get your tree, and it shows because there's a lack of joy in your heart (laughs) compared to the rest of us. I got a a text from dad a couple weeks ago. He sent a, a picture to us, which I think maybe we've got. We did. Note to all, premature, calm down. Mary has not even told Jesus she's pregnant yet. And uh, we rebuked him in the name of Jesus because we were not going to allow that kind of negativity into my home because we were full of the joy of the Lord. Uh, But seriously, God, I'm so excited to be with y'all. I was telling Dad just a few days ago, every time I get to come share with you guys, uh, it's just such a blast. Um, There's something uh, in my heart that there's just, there is a a joy and a sincerity of coming to be with you guys. And so uh, I'm really excited for where we're going to go this morning. And it's not just me today, but there's another cash making her debut. Uh, Hannah will be up here with us shortly, and she, uh, she is going to drop a word on y'all this morning. She has got uh, such a beautiful story. I'm so excited to have her up here uh, in a little bit. And last thing I'll say is single fellas. She is not only beautiful in appearance, but she has a beautiful heart that you're going to get to hear this morning. Only thing to consider are her brothers are all above average in size. And so we'll just, uh, just throw that out there as well. Hey, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. Uh, we're going to read, open up this morning before we pray in Romans chapter 5. So I'll give you guys a second to get there. We're going to be in Romans 5, starting out in verse 3. And I kind of want to read uh, the first couple verses there before we get to verse 3. Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into grace in which we now stand. And because of this, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Here's where we're going to hang out this morning, verse 3. But not only so, not only do we boast in the hope and the glory of God, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
Verse 3, one more time. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. We pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for the chance uh, to, to step into a place of worship. Thank you that we have uh, a beautiful place to come and to be together and to share in community, but ultimately uh, the worship and the teaching and uh, the relationships here, God, may everything be done in a way that honors you. As we talk about a heavy subject of suffering, Lord, I pray that those who are in a season of that now, that you will uh, come in comfort. God, I pray that you will uh, move in the midst, that you will be present with us. Uh, we yield to you, that you will speak through Hannah and I, uh, and that this time would be glorifying and a deepening closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, and as we are pre preparing for this morning, you know, we're in a season of, of thankfulness, we're in a season of gratitude, we're in a season of uh, coming up on Thursday, maybe some of your family traditions. I remember being a kid, we'd have a, the throwaway tablecloths, or I guess it wasn't a throwaway because we'd add to it each year, but uh, yeah, we'd have a, a, a tablecloth each year and we would write down some things that we're thankful for. And so uh, these next couple days are, are usually a time to reflect and to, to recognize, man, where's God blessed us? Where's God shown up for us? And it may seem a little odd this morning before Thanksgiving that we're going to talk about suffering. Like why in a season of thankfulness are we going to talk about something that typically doesn't bring me a whole lot of joy? Why are we going to settle on something that, uh, honestly, if, if we can look at our lives and say, no, suffering doesn't bring me thankfulness and gratitude. It actually brings me despair uh, and pain and hurt. Where is there uh, to be thankful in the time of suffering? Because as we pursue our Acts 29, and as you guys have been going through for the last quite a few months, this Acts 29, this whole idea of that, uh, the narrative of the book of Acts did not end in chapter 28. But we, as the church here in Loganville, are the continuation of the growth of the church that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the movement of the church did not stay there in Jerusalem, but it began to go out to the edges of the earth to find us here on a Sunday morning in Loganville. And, and as we are in the pursuit of, of being a character in the narrative of this Acts 29 story, one of the things that every single one of us will face, the common thread that we will see run through the lives of all of us is that we will all face suffering in our life. There's going to be two kinds of suffering we're going to hone in on this morning, one of which is, and, and I love the analogy Francis Chan uses. He says, you know, the, the first kind of suffering is like if I'm on a basketball team, right, and there's, there's five on a team, and if my team's going to score on the other side of the court and I hang out back here underneath my own goal, there's going to be no defense played on me. Right? If I am no threat to the, the, the defense of the other team because I'm not playing offense, then there's no defense going to be played on me. But as soon as I start moving up the court and I start getting the ball and I start making shots and I start to score, naturally the other team is going to see me as a threat and defense will start getting played on me. Right? And, and so the first kind of suffering we're going to talk about this morning is that there is very much so an enemy that is wanting to resist the pursuit of holiness that you have with the Father. That as we are pressing into Jesus, as we are continuing to, to build this narrative of a church on fire, as we, as God's people, are moving towards continuing in the acts of the Spirit and pursuing Jesus, there is an enemy that wants to play defense on you. 
And so we're going to talk about what that looks like. And the second kind, which Hannah will touch on more this morning, is what happens when we just face the suffering of living in a broken world. That maybe it's not necessarily the opposition of the enemy as seeing us as a threat to uh, their kingdom, but what happens when we face the suffering of the fact and the reality that we live uh, in a broken Eden? As God created perfection without blemish, without sickness and, and pure health, and when sin entered the world and fractured that, how do we live and how do we begin to process the suffering that comes through that? And so some of you guys may be sitting here this morning, and maybe you're uh, coming out of a season of suffering. Uh, maybe you can look back and reflect on one in your life, and maybe you're sitting in a season of suffering right now. Whether that be maybe a, a sickness or a cancer for you or a loved one. Maybe there's a marriage that, that seems like it's on the rocks. You're having a hard time figuring out how you're going to make it through this. Maybe you're in a, a dark night of the soul, which I'll, I'll touch on even more here in a bit. And, and it just feels like your soul is lonely and abandoned by God. And almost like there's this steel curtain that every time you're sending up prayers and, and coming before the Lord, it's these prayers just bouncing off this curtain and coming back at you. Or maybe you have a child who is far from, from walking with the Lord and your heart is just grieving and aching the pain of seeing your child live such uh, such a wayward and destructive life. And I want us to recognize the heaviness of those seasons, whether that's past or whether that's present right now. I want us to recognize that as something that Jesus cares so much about. I want us to remember those times and to settle in that for a minute to realize this is not something that God takes lightly. This is not something that he dismisses. And if suffering is so close to God's heart, then how are we to deal with that? If we look at the last night of Jesus' life and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's begging and he's praying and he's in agony and his soul begins to suffer before his body did. And he's praying and he's praying and saying, Lord, if you'll take this from me, please. And, and he's met with the silence of the Father. In his prayers of desperation, God doesn't answer him, but he faces silence. And then that turmoil turns into more agony to where he's uh, uh, shedding uh, drops of blood as sweat. And then he goes and he faces torture and torment like we would never understand. And we say, Jesus, if you did that and it was for the glory of God, then how are we to process when we also face our sufferings? In those moments where it feels like, God, I'm, I'm praying like in the garden. I, I'm on my knees like in Gethsemane and I'm getting no response. Does that mean you're far from me? And God says, no. Well, it's getting worse and now I'm in this agony to where I'm, I'm physically having effects that are, my body is, is physically affected by the pain. Are you far away? Have you forgotten me? And the Father says, no. But, but I'm being tortured now and I'm being beaten now. My life seems like there's no hope. Have you forgotten me? says, no, it is all to be used for my glory. And so this morning I want us to, to, to answer or ask the question and begin to answer, well, then how do we walk through seasons of suffering? The Greek word for suffering is philipsis, and this is what it, it, it carries with it. It says that it is a pressing together as of grapes. The, the song we just sang, New Wine, is the whole kind of idea built out of there, that it conveys the idea of being squeezed or placed under pressure or crushed beneath the weight. 
They said that according to the ancient law of England, that those who willfully refused to plead guilty, they had heavy weights placed on their breasts, and they were pressed and crushed to death. This was literally the word used for suffering. It thus refers to not mild discomfort, but great difficulty. And I just wonder how many of us in this morning, uh, in here this morning, could say, no, I, I can very much so relate to that. It's this untangible, you can't see it, but yet you very much so feel the heaviness and the weight of something that feels like it's just pressing down on you. Right? And we're we're, we're going to talk about, uh, again, the sickness and the spiritual, uh, the idea of suffering. And I love Charles Spurgeon. He writes that this, this word picture and this idea of when the disciples were struggling at the oar in the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is up on the mountain and he just gets done praying. And he looks down at the disciples. He said they have barely made uh, any way across the lake in a long time. And they're rowing and they're rowing and they're rowing and the wind is heavy. And Charles Spurgeon says, you know, Christians, sometimes in life that it's not necessarily anything that we've done wrong or, or our own sin or our own fault. But again, that as we are rowing through life, there is the winds of opposition that press against you. There is the winds of opposition that are blowing and pressing against you. And in that picture, too, we don't see Jesus up and say, man, those guys just don't get it. These guys are worthless. They're not strong enough. They can't make it through the storm. But we see Jesus walk up to them and meet them right there in that place. Talking about the, the, the spiritual side of this a little bit more, I'm going to talk about some things here that uh, I understand some of you may think that's hard to believe or maybe a little far-fetched to connect those together. And I'm going to tell you right now, I stand uh, firm on the ground of believing that we live in the physical, but there is very much so a spiritual reality that is waging war against us. Okay, there's very much so as Paul will write, we don't just uh, fight against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the principalities and the powers of this dark world. And I very much so believe that when we are in this deep pursuit of Jesus, when we have a heart that is eager to go after the father, again, defense is going to begin to get played on us. My wife and I, we, we began to experience uh, a season of this back this spring in March. And my wife and I began to, to walk with this couple uh, who's been uh, a mentor now, and we've been walking together for uh, quite a few months. But, but we just began as a couple to just get stirred for this deeper desire of the Lord. Like just this idea of like, you know, I don't believe that the gifts and the power and the move of the Spirit ended in the apostles here in Acts. I don't believe that when Peter and Paul and James and these guys died off, that that was the end of it. But I believe that for us here in the church, for us in 2022 in Loganville or in Monroe or in your home or in your places of work, that the Holy Spirit still has a desire to stir and to move. I don't believe that the anointing and the power to lay hands and to pray for healing is gone. I don't believe that the ability to prophesy or to pray in tongues and to do these things is gone. I believe that there is very much so the ability to, to see this miraculous work of the Holy Spirit that we saw in Acts still take place in our church today. And so my wife and I, we were just pressing into this. We're like, God, we want more of it. Almost like this idea of like you got a Christmas tree with all these gifts that are wrapped under it. And I'm like, Lord, which one is mine? I just want to go open up whichever gift is labeled Benji. Whatever spiritual gift, whatever deeper thing that would be, God, I just want to go open that gift. And Grace and I were pressing into that, and we were spending so much time praying into those things. And it shouldn't have come as a surprise, but in that moment, in early March, I began to get very sick. 
uh, sicker than I've ever been before. And I was laid up in bed for a while, and day after day, things would progress, and I would get worse, and I was getting worse, and I was getting worse. And in those days, I was going to the doctors, and the doctor was, you know, they, they would, didn't really have much to tell me, so I'd go to another doctor, and they said, well, we think it's mono, but there's not really much we can do for you. And, and as I would sit at home, even with antibiotics, things got worse and worse. One afternoon, I was uh, in the middle of this sickness time. Um, I mean, I guess it was maybe one morning was the first time it happened where uh, my two-and-a-half-year-old Cedar at the time said something to my mother-in-law kind of, you know, offhanded that, that ended up my mother-in-law told Grace, and Grace told me that, you know, Cedar said something about as he was laying in bed. He saw these, these scary things in his room. And so we started praying, like, gosh, man, I don't know if the, the little dude has is, is got some own spiritual attacks coming. A couple days go by, and, and we're sitting in our living room one afternoon. And about 4 o'clock, he wakes up from a nap, screaming like I've never heard before. And I jump up, and I run into the room, and I turn on the light. And I said, buddy, what is wrong? What, what is going on? And with his little head buried, he was just pointing over into his room. This empty space, he was just pointing, and he wouldn't raise his head. And I said, buddy, do you, you see something? Is, is there something in your room that you're looking at? And head tucked, he just would point. He wouldn't raise his head. And in that moment, I knew, I was like, I mean, there's, there's, there's some kind of demonic presence that not only is beginning to attack my body, but it is attacking my son, and the sickness got worse. And I ended up in the hospital a few days later. And not only in that time, but, but I also remember in the, this time of despair, whether it was praying for my kids and anointing, uh, anointing the, the door frames and the windows of our house and oil and praying over it and, and praying to ask God to give some strength to my body and this sickness like I'd never had and pain of this sickness that I'd never felt before. In that moment, it also felt like that there was that steel curtain that was placed between me and the Lord. And I would be, man, I remember being in my closet, and I was like, God, I'm just begging you for some intersection. I'm begging you for, for, to, to, to touch my kids. I'm begging for healing in your body. And in this moment, it feels like every prayer I'm throwing up to you is meeting this, this steel curtain. It's just coming back to me. God, do you care about me? God, do you love me? God, do you even care that I'm in this hurt and this despair? Not only that, but my little dude's being attacked. I, 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 the, the, the demonic presence is coming after the innocence of my kid. And, and I was praying, and I was begging, Lord, God, what are we to do? Lord, please come be with us in this moment. It felt like I got no response. What do you do in those moments? What do you do in those seasons when you feel like all chaos is broke loose and God, am I alone in this? And if you want to head this way. And I can look back now at that season in March and say, Lord, Lord, in that moment of despair, in that moment of such dire pain where I felt very much that weight being pressed on me and being crushed, what the Lord began to show me in that. And I can see, obviously, after walking through that, is in that moment I was stripped and emptied of everything that I had. There was this uh, brought down to my knees and, and humility of being stripped of, of whatever I thought I was bringing. And in that moment of being emptied and being poured out, it was in that time that I was uh, originally in that pursuit of those deeper things of the Lord, which brought the opposition. But it was in the, the, the suffering of that time that, that the desire, that that hunger, that that just eagerness with all that I have, if nothing else, God, I just want to know the intimacy of you. 
That, that picture of God, as John got to lay his head on your chest, Jesus, at the last supper. Lord, I want to know that kind of intimacy. And in that season of suffering, it wasn't this abandonment from God, but it actually took my soul deeper to desire him than I'd ever experienced before. God, like nothing else do I want to know you. Nothing else do I want to walk with you. And Paul write in Romans chapter 5, he says, in those moments of suffering, we glory. Why? Paul, are you crazy? Huh? There's something messed up with you to where we're supposed to rejoice in glory in suffering. Why? He says, because in your suffering, there's perseverance that's strengthened. It's this idea of like a runner preparing for a race, and they may go out for the first couple miles, and they may make it two miles or so, and they're exhausted. I'm training for a half marathon right now. I was exhausted when I started to run these first few miles. And then you go back out a couple days later, and you're pressing into that pain of the body a little bit, but I was able to persevere to two and a half or three miles. And then it goes to five, then it goes to ten, and then it goes to where you're continuing to persevere and press into the pain. And like Paul will reference runners so often, he says, in those moments of suffering, like the body goes through when training, so your soul is learning to persevere in the light of suffering. He says, then it sharpens your character. Malachi will write, he says that the the prophecy of Malachi, he says, hey, one is coming that's going to sit like a refiner of silver. And it's this idea, he says, that when Jesus comes, he's not going to leave you the way that you are. He's not going to leave you in your mess. He's not going to leave you in your pain. He says, but when Jesus comes, he's going he's to heat you up a little bit. He's going to turn the fire of your life a little bit at times. And what it's going to do is going to heat up like a metal does. The refiner would sit, and it's going to boil all the impurities to the top. And then what a refiner does is he sits there, and he cleans off the top layer. And then he'll heat it up again, and more impurities from the metal will rise up, and he'll scrape off the top again. And he'll do it over and over and over until the refiner can look down and see his reflection in the metal. And Paul says that it creates suffering, helps strengthen your perseverance to keep going, but it also sharpens your character. It sharpens who you are as a man and a woman following Jesus. That sometimes we've got to get heated up a little bit so that God can begin to stir impurities out of our life in those moments of suffering. And then he cleans off the top, not because he hates us or because he wants us to feel that burn or that pain, but because he wants to see his reflection in our life more. And then the last thing he says is that it strengthens your hope. So, so that the next time in life that, that a suffering season comes or you see that hurdle and you can recognize, man, I've been here before. I remember what this season feels like. I, I've faced suffering before. And instead of maybe running this time and saying, God, I don't want to do this again. I can't handle this. I don't know what to do in these hard times. But when we recognize that suffering to say, no, I have hope that Jesus is going to bring me through again this time. I'm stronger this time than I was the last time I faced this suffering. I'm stronger than I was having to go through hardship and trials the first time. My character is sharpened. I'm in the man or the woman that I am facing it. And I have greater hope that I will not be left in despair. I have greater hope that he will not leave me in this time, but that nothing is wasted with God. Again, as Jesus was in agony in the garden, God says, no, I'm going to let you go through this because it's going to bring me glory. It's going to point people back to me. It's going to be the forgiveness and the salvation, the restoration for all people. But in the meantime, you've got to suffer a little while. 
the spiritual side of suffering and light, of opposition, of holiness. The second again that Hannah will touch on here is the suffering we face as a way of living in a broken world. That was really good. Um, I'm excited to share a little bit this morning of, like Ben said, the suffering, but how God can use it for such good. And mine um, started with sickness about seven years ago. Um, Honestly, the sickest time of my life. Um, And it continued for about three years of not knowing what was going on. And um, I had a lot of stomach issues, a lot of... um, breathing issues, and just my body was fighting to be healthy. And um, through that, just what God taught me and what he did, I'm so grateful for. I, But it was hard. Um, and through constantly being sick with just flu and pneumonia and being prayed over um, and people laying hands on me and anointing me with oil and just constantly fighting um, and praying that God would heal me, even though I didn't see how, like, didn't see where or when it was going to happen, but I did believe that he was going to heal me and that he was capable of doing that. Um, But it was really hard for a while, and it was, um, it was suffering, and it was a battle to just fight for joy, but knowing that joy was available. I, um, one day, it was the winter of 2018 going into 2019. Um, spent it sick most like weeks, um, laying in bed, and my breathing was awful, and just doing breathing treatments. And I was seeing doctors and naturopaths, and getting testing done, and not, and God just wasn't healing me and wasn't putting the pieces together of what was going on. But um, I still held on to hope that He was capable of healing me. And one day, Mom called the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota in prayer that we could get in and um, get some more intense um, in-depth testing done. And she called on, I think it was like a Tuesday, and got me in the following Monday, which was such a God thing. Um, And so mom and I flew up to Minnesota and for about two days went through a lot of testing and talking to a lot of doctors, hoping that the pieces, um, God would put the pieces together and would allow healing to take place. Um, and it was a Wednesday afternoon. I got tested for cystic fibrosis, and I'm going to be honest, going into it, I've never heard of it. Um, had no idea what it was, but um, just wanted answers. And so I got tested, and that night, about 8 p.m., got a phone call um, while in the hotel that um, my testing was positive. My um, score, there was, like, score was way over 100, and that I needed to be admitted to the hospital. And so in Minnesota, um, far away from family and just in a sick state, um, I was admitted to the hospital there for two weeks. And I'm not going to lie, the first, um, I'd like to say it was all great, but the first few days um, were really hard. I, the first day I remember crying most of the day, um, doctors and nurses would come in and I was like, just talk to my mom. Like, I can't really talk to you right now. But it was just overwhelming. Um of what was going on and just figuring out um, what healing looked like. It was a little bit different than what I had prayed for. I think what when I had um, people laying hands on me, I was praying that for just miraculous healing, not to be in a hospital for two weeks and having to continue to go through a lot of sickness. But um, God definitely redeemed that. And through being in the hospital, I'd have nurses and doctors that would come in. And many days they would ask me why I had joy and why I was positive. And I 
would like ask myself and ask them like why wouldn't like why wouldn't I have joy and I truly believe that God brought such a peace during that time um scripture says that light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it and I saw that come to life during that time of being in a hospital and it's dark darkness um and being just in that environment is it's a struggle to be positive but God gave me such joy during that time in Acts 16, I'm going to read um, a little bit, but um, Paul and Silas, they were thrown into prison, and they were severely beaten, and their feet were fastened and placed in stocks, and the stocks had um, more than two holes so that their feet could be spread apart for utmost discomfort, and so looking at their circumstances, um, they were in discomfort and going through suffering. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 25. And it says, um, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing praises to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were broken. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, thinking that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, um, don't harm yourself for we're all here. And the jailer um, got up and trembled and or ran up and trembled with fear um, before Paul and Silas and asked, what must I do to be saved? And so starting off, we see um, the suffering that they were going through, but also in verse 25, when it said that they were singing praises of joy to God um, through their suffering. And so even though they were going through suffering, joy was available, and their circumstances did not determine whether God was worthy of praise or not. They prayed him, and we see that the freedom um, that comes with being able to seek the Lord um, and just press into him, that he, he freed them. Because of their praise um, towards God, God freed the, their chains. And so I believe that God does that, and it might not be in a physical way, but spiritually frees us when we're going through suffering and pressing into him. And the impact, um, I believe, that it has on someone else of even the jailer who um, believed that he was the one to beat them and throw them into prison. But then their praise towards God and the impact it had on the jailer that he fell at their feet asking, what can I do? So he saw the impact of suffering and just the joy that it brought um, them of being able to press into the Lord. And... Um, I believe that what God wants to do in us through suffering is so much greater than the suffering itself. That if the only reason I went through years and years of sickness and being hospitalized, if the only reason I went through that was um, to have the passion that God gave me now for him and just a desire to walk with him and honor him with my life, if that's the only reason I went through it, then I would go through it a million times again because I'm so grateful for what God did through that time. I was... Um, sitting at a coffee shop a few weeks ago, and a young girl, she came and sat down next to me, and we got to talking, and I asked her um, what she was studying. She had some books out, and she told me she was getting her master's in counseling, and so I asked, um, asked her, um, what made you want to get into that, and there's a long pause, and then she looks at me, and she said, um, if I'm being honest, I went through a lot of trauma growing up, and my family life was really bad, and um, but I was in counseling through it, and the impact that counseling had on my life and just being able to see the Lord through that um, has given me a passion for it now. And just I pray that um, God will use it for me to make an impact on other people the way it made an impact on me. 
And I just paused and I was humbled. And the Lord reminded me in that moment, it was during preparing um, for this, the Lord reminded me in that moment that he redeems all things and makes them beautiful. Therefore, suffering is never wasted. And so even um, looking back, through the sickness and through um, being able to see the faithfulness of God and just the joy of the Lord that's available, um, I'm able to just see how God's redeeming that and the passion that is he's brought through that um, or given me through that. He's given me a deep passion, like I said, for him and a desire for him, a depth of just um, through suffering of really pressing into him and um, seeking joy in him. Um, so he's given me a passion for that. He's given me a passion for health and wellness and through sickness and having just years of struggling um, with not being healthy and now being able to just um, learn more about um, what health lo- really looks like and not being able to truly be healthy without the Lord, but knowing that um, he's just given me a passion for that and um, a passion to help other people um, just in health and with sickness of being able to relate with them, of people who are going through suffering in a physical way of being able to relate and want, wanting to encourage people in that because I know that it's hard, but that there's joy um, offered. And so James 1 verse 2 through 4 says, um, consider it joy when you go through trials of various kinds for the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so we see that the gift of suffering, that it's hard in the moment, but being able to persevere with the Lord, there is a gift in that. And um, being able to just seek what he's desiring to do in us through that is such a gift. And even now still is like, it's a struggle. And um, I do treatment um, daily for like 30 minutes, twice a day. And I remember when I first got home from the hospital, having to do that in the first day, that I um, sat down in my bed to do the 30-minute treatment, and it just, like, all kind of hit me, and the weight of um, what happened hit me. And in that moment, um, the Lord um, was so near to me, and I played worship music. I remember through the first time of doing it and was, like, immediately saw, like, how even God could redeem that moment of how sitting down alone for 30 minutes doing a treatment um, to stay or to try to be healthy, that God even could redeem that moment. And so he still is and um, still does in just being able to seek him um, through that and press into him. So I'm going to leave you all with one thought um, that I believe um, true passion can't truly be felt or expressed until you've suffered and persevered with Jesus. And so there is a gift that lies in um, uh, suffering, whether it's physical or spiritual, there is um, a gift that lies in that, and God desires to redeem that if we allow Him to. That'll preach, won't it? Man, that's so good. Great job, Hannah. You know, I didn't pick it up uh, the first time, but telling the story the second time, she said she scored over 100 on her cystic fibrosis test, which I thought for us catches was pretty good. We don't score a lot of hundreds. And so, man. Rachel, we didn't score a lot of hundreds, did we? No, but I love that. I, and, and, and sitting here listening to her share, like even as the doctors would come in and say, why do you have so much joy? And, and her thinking, well, why, why don't you have joy, right? Like you're, you're healthy, you're at your, you're at your place of work, but even in those moments of hardship, like that there's this joy that was coming out of us. And, and I love this. One commentator writes that the picture of suffering is to be squeezed. 
And when you squeeze something, what comes out is what's on the inside. What comes out of you when you experience suffering? He says, remember, believers have Christ in them, the hope and glory. Therefore, they have the potential to exude the fragrance of his life when crushed. When, when, we, when you crush a grape, right, when you put pressure, when you squeeze it, what comes out of it is grape juice. Right? When you squeeze an olive, olive oil flows from that. And what the commentator writes here just says that in times of suffering, when that philipsis idea of being pressed and being crushed, he says what comes out of you uh, is what is really true of the inside. And he says, followers of Jesus, don't you know that when you are crushed, when you are pressed, when you are squeezed, that in those moments, yes, that they are painful. Yes, that they hurt. Yes, that they feel like there's nothing good that's coming out of it. But he says that we have the opportunity to exude the fragrance of God's life when we're crushed. Man, that if we will press into Jesus more and more. Another writer, he, he said that, you know, when, when somebody goes through suffering... If they're carnal, if they have hatred in their heart, if they're a bitter person, that, that when they face suffering, they will become more hatred and more bitter and more carnal. But it says that, that if you take a person who is full of love and full of compassion and, and, and full of the, the fruits of the Spirit, when you crush them, what you will see is an overflow of that out of their life. And that in these moments of suffering, whether that is the spiritual opposition we face from the enemy or whether that is the hardship that we face of a sickness or a loved one who is sick or a rejection or abandonment or some kind of pain from this life, that God is not leaving you and abandoning you in that moment. But as Hannah said, nothing is wasted. There's not one detail of the narrative that God is writing in your life that is an accident. I need a spell check quite often. God does not need a spell check writing the narrative of your life. There is no strip of white out that is ever needed because everything that happens, everything that is done, is done with such great intention. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 6-7, he says that in this, in the suffering, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise. He says that gold, something that we value so highly, something that for generations and generations, the currency that, that we will even build nations on to prove that we have some kind of value behind our name. He said as valuable as that is, as much as it's refined and purified and the purer and purer the gold gets, as valuable as that is, he says one day it's going to be gone. One day it will cease to be necessary. One day it will be irrelevant. And he says, but your life is worth so much more. It is worth so much more because as followers of Jesus, our life is not perishable, but we are guaranteed to receive an inheritance to live forever. And he says, even though you've got to suffer now for just a little while, he says, hang on. 
It's not wasted. It's creating perseverance. It's strengthening something in you. Your character, your, who you are, who you want to be as a husband or as a wife, as, as a parent, as an employer or an employee, as a son or a daughter. Like, don't dismiss these things because it's not wasted. Hang on. Your life is worth more than a bar of gold. It's unperishable. And if you hang in there, Peter says, may it be found to be, uh, may it be found to result in praise to the Father. That reflection back to Jesus in Gethsemane of there is suffering, but it came to be, uh, it came to result in praise and honor being pointed back to the Father. Commentator writes, the believer must look at his or her tribulations as assets that God uses to hone one's Christian character into Christ-like conformity. That what would it look like if we began to see these hardships, see these trials, not as God's frustration and disappointment in us, but as assets that God's saying, no, I'm allowing you to go through this. I'm allowing you to go through this because where you are right now has so much more potential. You, you, you can be so much better. There's so much more that I can get out of you, but I can't get any more out of you. I can't be able to refine you. I can't sharpen you. I can't use you anymore unless you allow me to refine you a bit, I, I, unless you allow me to heat things up and scrape off some of the impurities. Like I need to do that to be able to strengthen you and use you more. It's not because he's disappointed in you. Suffering is not necessarily because you've done something wrong. The hardship, the death, the sickness, it might not be because there's anything wrong with you, but there are the forces, as Spurgeon said, pressing against you. The forces of life blowing against you. And in those moments, how are we to respond? Do we see that God said, I'm not going to waste those things. You're worth so much more to gold when it's refined. How much more will I use your life when it's refined? I want to close with this. That when we think through this season, what we're thankful for, what we have to be grateful for, what we have to praise the Lord for, may we not glaze over the fact that tribulation and trials and suffering is something that God is using to shape you, and that is to be thankful for. That who I am becoming as a husband and as a father and as a man is part and due to suffering. That the, the, the hardships of, of life at times, the sufferings and the dark nights of the soul and the sickness of family or the sickness of self, those things are not wasted. And, and, and that God uses those for when we face them again and again and again because life is going to bring suffering throughout the entirety of it. I have the hope to see the other end. I have the character to withstand it, not to, to walk away and to be angry and bitter at God. And I have a little bit more perseverance to withstand it and to be able to press in a little bit longer. Thus, David Guzik concludes that, therefore, we say soberly and reverently about tribulation. Lord, bring it on. I know you love me and carefully measure every trial and have a loving purpose to accomplish in every tribulation. Lord, I won't seek trials and search out tribulation, but I won't despise them or lose hope when they come. I trust your love in everything that you allow. We're going to step into a time of, of prayer and worship now. And I want us to, to reflect even back on that new wine song. 
and realizing that it is in the crushing, it is in the pressing that God is making something new for you. That, that, that when grapes are crushed and squeezed and they are emptied of themselves, it is not to just be trampled on underfoot and thrown away into the trash, but it's so that this new uh, enjoyment and, and this wine that satisfies the heart and is uh, tasteful to the tongue that we can enjoy is being created. That the grape is not pressed and squeezed to be abandoned, but it's pressed and squeezed so that new life can come out. And that the songwriter writes that in the soil I now surrender. That in the soil of this season, if we will bury ourselves and die to ourselves in the soil of that season, that God wants to grow something new. He wants to build something new. That in the moments of suffering there, that if we would empty ourselves and allow God to empty us out, to open us up as a new vessel to be filled with him that he will use this season. He will not abandon you in that. And so as we step into worship now, there's going to be uh, uh, the prayer team will be up here at front. And, and I would invite you, if you find yourself facing a season of suffering now, do not suffer alone. Know that you do not have to carry the burden of that by yourself. There are people here as followers of Jesus. We are called to shoulder up with each other, to yoke up together and help carry the burdens that we face. And so if you're in that season of suffering or trial or some kind of tribulation, whether that be physically or a family member of the soul, come and let somebody pray over you. James says that the anointing, when, when, when people anoint with oil and pray over you, it is powerful and effective and there's healing in that. Let somebody come lay hands and pray over you. And maybe there's some of you now that, that sit and you're like, no, I, I can look back and I remember that season of suffering. But I can also look back and see like I can in March to say, no, Lord, you didn't waste that. And you were strengthening something. You were growing something inside of me. And you may want to step into a time of communion just to say, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for allowing me to suffer a little bit. Thank you for heating me up and purifying me in those seasons. Thank you that you, uh, to, to sharpen me, there had to be some sparks that were flown. And I'd invite you guys, step in. The communion's on both sides of the room. We just to use it as a time to say, Lord, thank you that you didn't waste that. Thank you that you did not leave me in those moments. So, Father, we love you. We are so thankful.